postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. A world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising a white flag and saying, Ah! It's all the secular people's fault and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic campaign. How can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism Redesigned. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Pastor Marcus here. Welcome back to another episode of the Story Church Podcast. In today's episode, I'm actually going to be doing a quiz with you, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and invite you to take a quiz, a very confronting but beautiful quiz. I think you guys will really get a kick out of this. Um, and it's sort of based on a sermon that I preached um, over the last two weeks at uh, the local churches where I serve. And I thought, you know what, if we could turn this into a quiz and share it with others, it would actually be pretty cool. So I'm going to share it with you guys. And it's titled, it's titled, Is Your Local Adventist Church Like Jesus? A quiz. So uh, that's, that's pretty intriguing. At least I think so. I don't know. You're listening, so maybe you think so too. Uh, anyways, look, guys, before I start, just a few quick things that I want to mention. As always, Patreons, you guys are the best. Thank you so much for uh, for supporting the Story Church podcast. As I've said in the past, the Story Church podcast is not something I get paid to do. I do this on the side. I do this on my free time, and I love doing it. I absolutely love doing it. But the challenge of having a space on social media with a mission like mine is that you have to invest finances into it as well because that's the only real way that people can see your content, right? So the new social media algorithms, um, if you have a project like this one, um, a ministry with a website and, and content, and you're sharing that content, uh, the new algorithms actually block that content because they want people on social media to see things that are personal, right? Not not business things. Um, and this is this falls under that category in the algorithm because it's podcasts and blogs and things like that. So the only way to break past that and actually provide or, or have your message reach the people that you're trying to reach, which in our case is other Adventist leaders and influencers across the globe, particularly in the West, um, the only way for them to see it is for you to do paid advertising. Um, and so that's where the patrons really come in. And it's a huge blessing because just a little bit, I mean, you guys have no idea, just like seven bucks can really help you, you know, it can help you reach a good number of people. Uh, so I've got a few patrons that are really helping out. And if you want to jump on board and say, hey, I'd love to help you get your message out there, please go to patreon.com slash the story church project. And you can see it all there. It takes like less than a minute to read. Um, I don't know. I haven't benchmarked that, but you know, if you're not too slow a reader, I would assume that it's a, a pretty quick experience. Um, and you can you can find out how you can help, right? There's different options that are there. So thank you for those of you who um, have already put your hand up and you're providing in that space because it does make a difference. Um, I also want to do a huge shout out to uh, the Haystack. Now the Haystack, um, we've been a bit quiet lately, but the Haystack is back. And I'm excited to be part of the Haystack team and to have this podcast sponsored 
by the Haystack, which also is a huge help in helping this message get across to Adventist influencers around the world. And so a big shout out to the Haystack. I love you guys. Um, Haystack's been around for a while. I was with them in, in their initial years. Uh, and they do absolutely great stuff. So if you don't know the Haystack, make sure you head over to the haystack.tv or the haystack.org. I got to brush up on that. It's one of those two, okay? Because they've had the links that they switched back and forth. I probably should have updated that before <laughs> recording this. But either way, guys, check out the Haystack. It's awesome. And it's all about life, culture, and theology. And it's really cool the way they do it because they put... Um, uh, a good millennial spin on it and they do lots of really amazing projects as well tackling things uh the series video series they did the wound about race relations in the Adventist church if you haven't seen it yet man i'm telling you you gotta you gotta hit pause on did pot on this podcast episode and go watch it all right like it's that good um super amazing so anyways big shout out to the haystack um excited you guys are back and excited to be sponsored by um by your project now let me get to this uh, <laughs> to this quiz. I, I I hope you guys enjoy this. Um, like I said, it is a bit confronting. All right, it's a bit confronting. Um, but that's what I want to do this week. I want to take. I want you guys to take this quiz. Now you could do it on your own. Uh, and obviously, as you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely going to do it on your own in your head. Um, but I also want to invite you. You know, share this with others in your church. And do the quiz with them, right? Do it together as a leadership team, um, or it doesn't have to be leaders. It could just be regular church members as well. Do it together. Because the question that we're asking is this, is your local Adventist church like Jesus? And I reckon that's a really good thing to have an answer to, right? Like that's a really good thing that you should, you should know. Are we like Jesus? Now, before you run off thinking, oh boy, like this is going to be a really crazy quiz with like 30 questions, it's not. There's actually only three main questions. There are some sub-questions, but they're just like to get your brain spinning. The real questions are just three main questions. Now, before I get to those three main questions, I need to read you a parable. In the book of Luke, chapter 15, is a parable that Jesus told because the quiz itself is based on this simple parable. So here's the parable. Again, this is Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Jesus speaking. Um, well, he's not speaking yet. Luke is narrating, and then Jesus tells the parable. So here's, we begin with Luke. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That's the parable. Now, chances are you are familiar with this parable. And so what I want to do now is I want to break this parable down into three overarching points. And these three overarching points are going to form the basis 
for our quiz. All right. So here is point number one, which is framed as a question as well. Question number one, who does your church attract? Now, the first point that leaps out at me anyways from this parable is that the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. It wasn't the religious folk. It wasn't the politically conservative. It wasn't the theologians or scholars. They were the ones in the back of the room judging, condemning, and complaining about Jesus. Okay, maybe not the politically conservative. I'm not trying to make a political statement here. Um, the story doesn't make any allusion to that point. But the point I'm making is it's, it's the people who were really committed to their religious ideology, right? The Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They were the ones in the back of the room judging, condemning, and complaining about Jesus. In their heads, they just could not figure out how a holy and sacred God would associate with people like that. People who were clearly immoral. So the story begins with this simple picture, right? That the religious people are on one side of the room, Jesus is on the other, and where are all the sinners? With Jesus. Now, I had a friend years ago who was part of this ministry that gave free rides to drunk students on campus. And during one of the rides, a student asked her, why do people like you, Christians, right? Because they didn't have the fact that they were a church and they were serving them in this way. Why would people like you, Christians, want to be around people like us? Now, in, in sort of the same vein, I guess, um, I've had a lot of my friends who will say things to me like, oh, I'll never sit foot in a church, man. If I walk in there, the building might burn down. Or <laughs> that's what some of them say. Others say, you know, if I walk into a church, I'll get struck by lightning. Um, but in the end, right, in the end, here's the thing. And, and you guys have probably heard this stuff before as well. And, and here's the point that all of that sort of leads us back to is that today's culture doesn't see the church as a safe place for sinners. They do not all gather at the church. We're in effect the opposite of who Jesus was, right? While Jesus attracted sinners, we tend to scare them away. So my first question in our quiz today is, who does your church attract? Does it attract sinners or saints, right? Using saints loosely there, of course. Now, the easiest way to find out you know, some of you listening to this are like, oh, I know, I know. Boom, here's the answer, right? And some of you might be struggling to identify the answer. So the easiest way to find out is with these few follow-up questions, right? These are not, these are like sub-questions of question one, just to get the gear spinning. So number one, who is comfortable in your church? And here's the point, like if the religious folk are comfortable, it's often at the exclusion of the non-religious folk, right? The sinner. Uh, who criticizes your church? Because if the religious folk love you, it's because your church caters to them and not the lost. Right? And finally, who is most excited to attend your church? If there's a trend of visitors, for example, who come and they don't stay, you know, they come for a week, two weeks, a month, and they don't stay, it's because your church is designed to excite the saints, not the sinners, to be there. So who does your church attract? If the answer is mostly people who are already like us, saints, right? And not people who are totally different from us, people who come from different walks of life and who have vices and addictions and struggles and, you know, they don't share our necessarily our, our convictions in every way, shape and form and our fashion and our culture. 
um, if, if those people are not the ones who are being attracted to your church, then it's already looking, here's my suggestion, it's already looking like your church isn't a whole lot like Jesus. Now, I said this was confronting. I said it was confronting. But don't get mad at me, all right? Just stick with the parable and see what you can learn from it. Question number two, or point number two, which again is phrased as a question. Who does your church prioritize? Now, here's the thing. Jesus attracted the sinners while the religious folk did not. So Jesus tells them the story after they, you know, they had their little hissy fit. Um, and this story reveals exactly why Jesus attracted sinners and religious folk didn't. And I think it's key for us if we're not attracting, you know, sinners and we're only attracting religious folk, like this is the reason why, right? So Jesus tells this parable about the lost sheep and after he shares the scenario with the sheep wandering off, the one wandering off, he asks this really interesting question. He says this, doesn't he, the shepherd, leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, here's why I think Jesus' question is interesting. It's interesting because he states it as a matter of fact, doesn't he? It's, it's as if Jesus is assuming that the normal thing to do if you lose one sheep is to leave the 99 and go find the one. But from an investment perspective, this actually doesn't make a lot of sense. If you lose one, the best thing to do is count your loss because you don't leave the 99 in the open field and go searching for the one because you risk losing another 10 <laughs> that you left behind. So it seems to me that the best thing to do is count your loss on the one and preserve the 99 that you have left. But Jesus actually does the opposite. He leaves the 99 and goes searching for the one. It's as if Jesus is saying, the 99 are not my priority. The one is. Now, the funny thing is, most of our churches tend to operate the other way around. We live to coddle the 99. We exist to keep them happy, to pacify their desires, to pamper their every whim. When the 99 complain, the leaders have to find a way to keep them happy. And the sad part is many of the 99 want a church where they are comfortable, a church where the one doesn't fit in. And this is why Jesus attracted sinners while the Pharisees repelled them, because Jesus did not exist to coddle the 99. He did not come to the earth to make church folk happy. He came to reach the one, and he had a heart that beat for the one. He wasn't concerned with meeting the expectations of the 99. He was concerned with reaching the one. So uh, let me ask the question again, right? <laughs> Who does your church prioritize? Is it the 99 or is it the one? Now, here are some build-up questions that can help you figure it out, right? Which department in your church gets the most money? Ouch. If your outreach budget is tiny compared to the amount of money you spend on your main service, for example, then it's obvious where the emphasis is. Uh, how committed is your church to understanding its unchristian neighbors? Is your church, for example, constantly putting on programs that only feed the saints with things that have little to no missional value? Or is your church investing in resources and training on how to connect with its secular surroundings? Huh. How open is your church to changing its culture and methodology in order to more meaningfully connect with the lost that surround it? Most churches refuse to change any of their cultural or methodological practices because that's the way they like it. This is a sign of a church that's more interested in the 99 being happy 
than in the one that is lost. Pretty confronting. All right, last question. Here we go. Question number three. What does your church celebrate? People celebrate when they win. And the easiest way to know what your church celebrates is to find out what it considers a win. Right? Celebration, here's my point, it's not always a loud party. A celebration can be quiet and hard to identify. So you can't answer this question by trying to find the times when your church throws a party because it might never throw parties for anything. Instead, you've got to dig for the win. What is your church's win? Because when that win happens, when it happens, a celebration ensues whether or not that celebration is evident. So for Jesus and all of heaven, a win is the one coming home. When the one returns, Jesus celebrates. Now, most churches are happy when there's a baptism. I mean, like, who wouldn't be, right? But that doesn't mean they are celebrating because a baptism may not be a win in their books. Instead, there are churches, for example, who consider it a win. I know you guys are going to find this weird, but they're, they're out there. There are churches who consider it a win when they disfellowship someone, right? When they disfellowship someone, they, they consider it a win. We have stood for the principles of God. Yes, we're so proud of ourselves, right? Um, others consider it a win when they get rid of a particular pastor. Oh, thank God he's gone. Um, or when they gain control over a particular issue. Um, or when they manage to develop a structure or a culture that keeps certain people out of the church. Now, some churches have no win whatsoever, and either they have never discussed it or they're not unified in what they would consider a win. And others consider it a win to reject or resist particular theological developments. For example, churches that pride themselves in being anti-women's ordination or anti-new theology, etc. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't have any of those as a win. His only win, the only thing the Bible says heaven ever has a party over is when the one comes home. So then, my question for you is, what does your church celebrate? And these three questions, who does your church attract? Who does your church prioritize? And what does your church celebrate? Constitute the, is your local Adventist church like Jesus quiz? So I'm interested, what are your answers, right? What are your answers? Share them below. I'd love to hear, I'd love to have some comments on this, right? My blogs and podcasts aren't always conducive to a large degree of comments, but I would love to have some comments on this. I'd love to have some conversation. So let me know, what do you think? Um, is your local Adventist church like Jesus? Now, some of you might be asking, like, what do we do if our church is not like Jesus? Like, wh where do we go from there? And to, to answer that question, I've actually put together a really simple guide uh, to help you redesign your local Adventist church to be more like Jesus. And you can get it at the Story Church Project store. Um, and the link is thestorychurchproject.com slash store one. And it's the number. You don't spell it out O-N-E. It's just the number, the digit. Uh, and in this simple guide, I walk you through the basic baby steps to help you redesign your church to have a heart that beats like God. And the name of the book is Heartbeat, How to Redesign Your Local Adventist Church.
So check that resource out because I think, you know, if you follow simple baby steps and it's designed with an Adventist church and our structure and system, all of that in mind, uh, I think it can help you um, become a church that has a heart like Jesus, a heart like God. And that's what we want, right? At the very least, at the, the, the very end of the day, the, the very least that I, I, I suppose we could ask of each of our churches is let's be like Jesus. So there you go, guys. That is the quiz. That is the resource that is available if you want to um, explore it with your local church. But send some comments my way. Let me know what you think. Let me know what your experience is. And let's work together. Let's keep working together to redesign the local Adventist church to have a heart that beats like God's. All right, guys, that's it for today. I will catch you next week. Until then, God bless you. And have an awesome week.